Good afternoon. You're on the air with Patricia Adams Live, and we have our special guest with us, Ann Silvers. Ann is also a licensed therapist, and she is on the line with us now. Dr. Ann? Hi, Patricia. Hi, how are you? Um, before I'm good. We go, before we go in too deep, I just want to let the audience know a little bit more about you. And you okay. can go to https forward slash forward slash A-N-N-S-I-L-D-E-R-S dot com forward slash to her website. And she also has her master's degree as well. And she has been counseling individuals and I suppose couples as well in this yeah. area where we don't talk about. We, we might don't want to believe that it exists. We don't want to acknowledge that it's possible, but it is. And when I came across her book, I was like, I have to reach out and ask her if she would come and do the show. And the title of her book is Abuse of Men by Women. Subtitle, It Happens, It Hurts, and It's Time to Get Real About It. Now, Dr. Ann I want to just really applaud you for doing this. You could have easily just continued in your practice and not even brought this to the surface. I've had other individuals on the show as well, and we've talked about men being abused. And it's still as though the world says, you know, it's impossible. It's, you know, there, it's just not possible. And I continue to say that the reason why I'm doing this show is because it is possible. It is possible. It happens. It's happening, and it will continue to happen. And the only way that a change can be made is if we, the public, Joe Q. Public, whoever you are, comes to the realization that we are all human beings. It doesn't matter how big you are, how small you are, how tall you are, how strong you are, or whatever. This isn't about race, this isn't about class, it's not about gender, this is about humanity, this is about human beings, and the cruelty that other human beings exact on other human beings, not all, but some. And when that happens and when a part of the population is ignored at the expense of trying to make amends for the things that women did not get in the past, this is not the solution. Because if you apply that rule of thumb of, well, men are getting what's coming to them because we've been, as women, mistreated, withheld, uh, not allowed to do this, not allowed to do that. Well, if you want to take that stance, then you have to open that up. This is not a one-way pendulum. Is that if you continue down that lane, then people of color who say, well, you know, we were slaves, so whatever happens to the people who look like our slaveholders, oh, well. Hmm. You, you can't take that road. You just cannot just paint a wide brush and say all men are evil. You can't say all races or genders of people are evil. You can't just paint a brush like that and expect for society to farewell. Right now, I think that we, I really, I think about, as a history major, the suffragette movement, I think about all the women who fought for rights, but still, 
to come to this point and say, well, this is what men get, this is what men deserve. Way before there was the women's movement, way before there was the civil rights movement, this existed. This existed in pre-colonial, it existed in uh, before slavery. So for me, inequality anywhere is unacceptable. Injustice anywhere is unacceptable. We're not going to right the wrongs by punishing everybody. We're not going to right the wrongs punishing everybody. So, Dr. Ann, again, I want to just say thank you so much for agreeing to be a part of this conversation and making this more palatable, I guess, for people who are still in denial. And I don't know if there's so much denial. Do you think it's denial that people... (laughs) Are in um yeah i do think I do think there is a lot of denial on uh, a lot of levels one there's a there's a denial on the level of society, so society is saying no, this isn't happening, and then for men and men who are the targets of abuse by women, there's a lot of denial because it's not fitting their picture of what's possible, and even for the women who are being abusive, there's a lot of denial because the culture is saying whatever you want to do to a guy is fine. And it's even funny. Um, so, yeah, I think denial is is a big element here. And, you know, for me, it's like that the thing that goes a little bit further than denial, it's almost, I, I really, you know, don't want to use this word, but just for the sake of this conversation, sadistic. Because there's there's a little bit of sadomasochism in that. There's a little bit of uh, misandry and misogyny in that. I believe that in order for you to hate someone else, you have to have a certain amount of hate for yourself. Because I I believe I believe I, I don't have the exact answer on the depths of hatred. I haven't done an in depth study on hatred, so. Don't come for me. This is my opinion, and I'm entitled to my opinion. And what I'm simply yep. saying is that to the conversation is, is that when someone can hate another human being, you have to have a certain amount of hatred for yourself. There is there's something about you that you feel inadequate, that you find satisfaction in hating other people. There, There's something fundamentally wrong when you are comfortable hating someone else and it's supposed to make you feel good. It's supposed to make you feel better about yourself. There is just, in my experience, is that people who hate at that level, that they hate themselves as well. It's it's self-hatred that projects itself as racism, as misogyny, as misandrism of Whatever you want to call it, whatever you can think of possibly hating, there is something fundamentally flawed and damaged in that individual that can consciously hate somebody to the level that you want to do them bodily harm, you want to do them physical harm, you want to do them emotional harm, financial harm, any type of thing that would make you feel, um, it's almost vampirish. In a sense, is that you know you're never the vampire. The the thought process of a vampire that they display in the movies is that the vampires are never really satisfied because it has to continue to seek its next victim. 
So it, you know, so it's so all a the blood. Of, couple whatever. of things I would. Yeah. Yeah. There's a couple of things I would say about that. One is I'm, I'm glad to hear you use the words the word misandry because I think it's one that not a lot of people necessarily know, but it's the the, the opposite of misogyny. So it's about when when um, men become the targets of this. Um, is hatred kind of thing that you're talking about. Another thing I want to say is that I, I don't think that hatred is always an element in partner abuse. Partner abuse is that the motivation, the, the, the goals that the person is subconsciously or consciously trying to reach are to either control, punish, or demean. And I think even when we're talking about demeaning, they're not necessarily feeling hatred in the moment. Sometimes, yes, that, that's what's going on. But I think there's lots of instances of partner abuse um, when, there's, when there's not actually hatred there, but there's this controlling, punishing, or demeaning elements going on. So for those of you, the word misandry that, you know, Dr. Silvers was just, you know, speaking to, it's spelled M-I-S-A-N-D-R-Y, misandry, and it is the opposite of misogyny. So misandry, for the record, is the hatred of, the contempt for, or prejudice against men or boys in general. It can be manifested in numerous ways, including social exclusion, sex discrimination, hostility, uh, genoticism, matriarchy, belittling of men, violence against men, and sexual objectification. Now, when I think about that, this still rolls into that sadomasochistic or what is it called, the, the BDM bondage, domination, mm. um, you know, sadomasochism. BDSM. I think it's BDSM. Thank you. Yeah. And misandry really is wrapped up in that, that where a woman is dominating a man sexually and um, denying him at the same time. And I stumbled up on a video that really just, I think it traumatized me <laughs> by watching it. Mm. And it was something I, I had never seen before. It was on YouTube. How it showed up in my feed, I have no idea because I have not been searching for anything like that. But it came up in my feed, and it was a performance of an artist. And they brought someone on stage, and they strapped them into one of those sexual bondage uh, tables. And mm. brought this person to such a an erotic state of being, a state of mind, that they were screaming. You know, I mean, they were absolutely screaming, and their body was trembling. And it was it was the thought of I'm here with this person, um, but I want to be with this person intimately, but I can't be with this person. But this person is teasing me. This you know person is arousing me and denying me all at the same time. There's, there's something so, that is off. Yeah, and I, so that, that's, that I sort of see as a, you're using that as an example. I, I wouldn't want to leave the listeners with the idea that when we're talking about women abusing men, that that's, um, that's, that's a, um, an example of how it's commonly uh, occurring. Mm -hmm. If it's, if that's, you know, consensual and that's what a man and a woman wants to have, you know, that's on them. 
But I'm saying in terms of in society, it's like when you use, because you, you speak about your sex, the sexuality of women and how women use their sexuality to they can. lure men. Yes, it's, yes, it yes, can. That, yes. That's a, yeah, right. So in that, in that instance, it's just kind of like there's an underpinning of the misandry and the misogyny and the BDSM. So when I was looking through your book and you talked about the abusive tone and then you talked about the abusive body language, I had never really seen it delineated that way. Like the lines were clearly drawn and you were simply saying that this is what you may see in that person's tone, a voice towards Mm. you. This is what you may see in this person's body without them saying anything, their body is telling you something. So for me, it was like, okay, this is good. This this is really, really good because you broke it down into the ways. And this is part two uh, for anybody who's listening. And I hope you will go out and get her book. Her book is on Amazon, and it's also on her website. You can get it in paperback or Kindle. And if you want to get it in Kindle, you can follow along right now while we're on the show. But part two, she says, uh, ways women abuse men. Chapter three, how they do it. Chapter four, verbal abuse. Chapter five, sexual abuse, chapter six, financial abuse, chapter seven, physical abuse, chapter eight, spiritual abuse, chapter nine, legal abuse, chapter 10, emotional, psychological abuse. And that's a lot. That, that's an awful lot. Yeah, and did you, did, you, down. did you mention physical abuse in that? Was there, did you? Yes, ma'am. Okay, that's chapter yeah. seven. We don't want to miss that one. Yes, yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah, so I, I, you broke it down that way, but then when I, I'm going backwards again, so I'm going to back up kind of like through the book because there's certain things, like when you talked about degrees of abuse, mm, that, yeah. I thought that was really, you know, and then, guys, I really, really just strongly recommend you to get this book. It's not going to break your bank to get this book. The Kindle is like nine ninety nine, but she has like a bar, and on this bar, it's from left to right, uh, a white uh, gradient bar that goes from white to gray to black. So on the right left side of the bar it starts out white and the further right you go the darker the gradient gets. And the way that you put it is you said as with individual behaviors, the continuum graphic depicts the grayscale of abuse abusiveness from non abusive white to very abusive black. Now, I'm not going to dig off into that. I'm, I'm just not going to dig off into that and, and cause a different discussion. But this time, she says, it is for the collection of behaviors and attitudes, how we look at the behaviors and the attitudes of the individual who's abusing the man. So a person can move further towards the very abusive end of the collective continuum, she says, with a single very abusive act. I mean, one time, a one-time single abusive act. By repeating an abusive act or attitude over and over or by using a number of abusive behaviors and or attitudes in combination. I want to go back and repeat that. She's outlined three different ways that the continuum of abuse goes. It can be with one single very abusive act, a one-time act, or it could be by repeating an abusive act or attitude over and over repetitive. The third one is by abusing a number of uh, by using a number of abusive behaviors and or attitudes in combination. So it's like all of these can happen at the same, you know, from the same person, but happen in different ways, different times. 
So she gives an example. A one-time bad act is non-self-defense stabbing of a partner or ex-partner puts a person on the very abusive end of the continuum, even if she only does it once. A one-time bad act. A repeat offender is the next one. It says incessantly finding fault every day wears down a partner and can put the fault finder on the very abusive end of the continuum. The combo, now this is the knockout, the combo, refusing to contribute to the household financially, withholding sex, name-calling, and insisting that her partner cut ties with his family can all work together to create a very abusive impact. The collective effect of abusive behaviors is very important to understanding the impact of abuse, Dr. Silver says, and a person on the receiving end of abuse can find it very difficult to explain to other people and even to himself why he feels so worn down by the relationship. If he thinks about or recounts isolated incidents, things may not seem that bad. The individual incidents might occur in normal, healthy relationships. It's the accumulative effect that creates the problem. One jab might not be much to deal with, but thousands of them doled out daily or intermittently that painful and draining that Please speak to that. Well, I'm I'm glad that you point that out. I think that this is this is a really crucial part of trying to understand abuse and partner abuse. Um, one of my clients described it as the the death of a thousand cuts. Um, and I think you know when society is telling us women aren't abusive and men don't get abused by women, then we have a tendency to put behaviors that could potentially be abusive on the non-abusive end of the continuum for women. And, and then we miss them. That's one element. Another is this cumulative thing that you're talking about when, and I've had this a lot with clients where they come in and they, and they want to help their partner see how one issue, one, one event hurt them and the partner can discount it so easily because, well, that was just one thing. They're just overreacting. But the reality is it's not just one thing. It's a, it, it's a pattern. And what we need to do is step back and look at the pattern. Yeah. And when you said that, it's like, oh, you know, kind of blase, blase, you know, you're making a big deal out of that. Um, you know, I'm saying this and I'm doing this in response to something that you did. You did this, and so therefore I'm justified in doing and saying what I'm doing. Yeah, yeah, that that can certainly happen. Yeah, yeah. So or then minimizing, we'll on, you know. Or, sure. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's that's exactly that's that's it right there, Dr. Silvers. That's it. Minimizing, minimizing what they did and magnifying something that you did. Yeah. To justify what they're doing. Yeah. Right. All right. So then um, she goes on and she breaks this down into six parts, and I thought, wow, okay, this is this right here is, I highlighted it, <laughs> I, I have <laughs> your book in the Kindle, and I just, you know, I have bookmarks and highlights, so I highlighted it, but part one says, um, gave background on abuse of men by women and a rundown of partner abuse in general. So the rest of this book will provide details of the who, what, when, where, why, and how of the topic. 
Part two of the book describes how women abuse their male partners and gives insight into how abuse of men by women is the same as and different from abuse of women by men. So there is a parallel relationship, not not relationship, but there is a parallel uh, pattern to abuse in general, whether you're male or female. There's the, the domestic abuse cycle. There's the narcissistic abuse cycle. There is the violence cycle. The, the, the backdrop, the, the foundation of abuse is pretty much the same. But how women navigate the abuse will versus how men navigate the abuse will, this is what she's breaking it out into six parts. So whereas you may go to a counselor and they're used to talking about it, you know, how men do it but then they may be in denial about women being able to do it. So you can't really get, and that's why it's so important when you seek therapy, when you seek somebody that you want to get somebody who will be able to identify and acknowledge what you're saying, not try to diminish what you're saying, what what you're going through, what you've been through. But when you look for, a therapist, make sure you are doing due diligence. And I want to go on, and part three of her book says, she presents reasons why abusive women do what they do. Why do abusive women abuse men? Okay, why do they abuse, period? So part four explains how men end up in abusive How did you get here? How did you get here? <laughs> how men end up in abusive relationships and why they stay, and how the abuse impacts them. Part four of the book explains how men end up, Did I, I said that already, sorry. Part five helps men who are abused examine their options, whether the relationship continues or ends. Part six of the book delivers a call to action what everyone, women who are abusing their partners, families of abused men, helping professionals, all men and women can do about Abuse of Men by Women. Her book is broken into six parts, and these are the six parts that she is talking about. So it's a comprehensive explanation on the topic of women who are the abusers. I highly recommend you get the book. And for me, I wish I had the paperback. Honestly, I'm a paperback person. And mm. Kindle, you know, I, because I love to, and, and God forgive me, I'm, I'm saying this. So if this is a pet peeve of your, of yours, I love to paperclip. I love to uh, sticky note. I love to highlight. I love to dog ear, and write side notes, and and leave bookmarks here and there. So yeah. you know, having Kindle, you know, they give you these electronic bookmarks, but it's just not the same of having a book that you can just flip, 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 flip back and forth through. So um, I think I probably want to um, get the paperback because I really, you know, want to go back and forth, go back and forth. So in part two, when she says ways women abuse men, you start out with, and I found that interesting, you start out with chapter three, Right. And so we talked about that, and it's like the ways that women abuse men is how they do it. Then the verbal abuse and the sexual abuse, the financial abuse, the physical abuse, the spiritual abuse, the legal abuse, the emotional and the psychological abuse. And then how they do it, you start out with 
kind of like this nursery rhyme that we've always, always heard. Sticks and stones may break your bones, but words may break your psyche. And overspending may break your finances, and manipulation may break your spirit, and you leave the ellipses. I was like, okay, I want you to keep going. <laughs> I want you to keep going with, with, with that. And I'm like, okay. But anyway, coming in. So I'm, I'm really glad that part. you point out that part. I, I really do think that it's important that we recognize that partner abuse isn't just about domestic violence. It is about domestic violence sometimes. And sometimes it's about other kinds of abuse. And those other kinds of abuse leave a mark too. It's a different kind of mark than if you're bruised by physical abuse. And um, I think actually my book is the most comprehensive book on all seven forms of uh, partner abuse, no matter what configuration we're talking about. I've never seen another book so comprehensive about um, covering all seven forms. I have been reading quite a few books of late. And I will honestly say to you is that I, I appreciate the breakdown of the book. And I've talked to if anyone who has been listening to the show. I've been talking to men who have been abused. And these uh-huh. men are professional men. You know, it's like I'm not talking to uh, just regular blue-collar men. The men that I'm talking to, they're either, you know, some form of a leader. Um, some, you know, have members of the bar association. Some are member of the clergy. Um, do, you, do you know what I'm saying? So I'm yeah, it runs the whole the whole society gamut. Yeah. Yeah. So I my intent has been on the show is to have this so broad that no one can say, well, this only happens to men of this class or this mm. economic situation or this economic spectrum. So to me, the further down in the economic spectrum you are, I think it's probably even more devastating. Because when you have men in position and they have power and they have money or access to money, you know, you can remedy something. You can remedy something. But when you take someone who is economically um, being abused, and they have little resources to begin with, then it it's a pit. It's a pit that you aren't sure that you can climb out of. They potentially feel of. more trapped. Yes. And so that would be my only difference because me as a woman who I've experienced uh, family violence, domestic abuse, and the lowest end of the point is, is that when it takes money to leave and you don't have mm. the money to leave, because in yeah. your mind you think, I need money to leave. I can't leave without money. I have to have X amount of dollars because you know, I need to get another place. I don't have this. I don't have that, that, or whatever. But I have a friend long, long time ago, and, and I, I've never forgotten her, and I, I do call her a friend even though she's deceased. And I remember, God, um, I was like in my early 20s, and she had a very controlling man in her life. And I remember going to her door one day to knock on her door to visit with her, right? And I could hear the man in the background telling her she couldn't have company. Now, mind you, this was her place, not his. 
but him telling her that she could not have company. I never yes, saw in the her very same. Asking, and, uh, hmm. But you know um, what I'm trying to say is that this this woman she was a nurse she was you know educated, and this man was not educated, right? Um, and so she closed the door and she looked at me, and that was the last time I saw her alive. The next hmm. time I saw her face, it was on the morning news, oh. and she had gotten off work and was on the bus riding on the back of the bus, coming home from work late, you know, as a nurse. And he got on the bus at another stop, and he went to the back of the bus, and he murdered her at the back of that bus. And, and what we, what we want to draw people's attention to is that that very same thing can happen when the genders are reversed. Exactly. Where and that, where. Yeah. Women are sometimes physically violent, even killing their their uh, partners. Yes, and that's that's what I'm saying. The dynamic of that situation is that if you flip the role around, there are women who are standing in the background, telling them and dictating to them who can enter into their space, when they can yeah. enter into their space, who they can see, how long they can be. Where you know where they go, they have to know where they're at all at all times, and you, you you know so if 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 you take that because that right there is offensive to think that this woman her life was taken, but if that had have been reversed, and that been a woman who did that to a male nurse or whatever, they would have said, what did he do to deserve that? That is exactly yes. There's this tendency to um, let women off the hook, then they must have, if they were driven to something, it must be that the guy drove him to, drove her to it. It, it can't be that they have this within themselves to just be um, aggressive. And it's, it's not reality. Reality is that women do have that, some women do have that within themselves, and some women do get physical with their partners. When I first actually was going to write the book, um, I thought it was going to be just about the other kinds of partner abuse rather than physical because I was newly into a growing awareness of this myself about women abusing men. And my first exposure to it was a woman who was abusing a male friend of mine not physically, but financially, emotionally, verbally, um, and and somewhat even sexually, and and then I began as I began that this was more of a specialty of mine, and my awareness was growing. I then realized, no, this is also physical abuse. There's not in that one case I was just talking about, but there are many cases where men are being physically abused by their female partners, their girlfriends or their wives. And, and what women can do is they have ways of overcoming their size disadvantage. So they might attack while the guy is sleeping or while he's driving or from be- attack him from behind or take advantage of um, the fact that a particular man does not want to fight back, doesn't, doesn't want to hurt a woman. So resist fighting back 
or take advantage of, well, if he fights back, I'm going to I'm going to be left with bruises and I'm going to call the police and 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 say that he he was violent. So there are actually a number of ways that a woman can overcome her size disadvantage. Exactly. And I I really kind of want you to unpack your friend, if you don't mind. I don't want to get too much into a um, particular story um, just for confidentiality aspects. I think the part Um, that I wanted let me, let me be specific then. Let me let me go back okay. and, and maybe we can just take a chunk of it. Is because um, you, you talked about the ways that you discovered that your friend was being abused. But then you brought in sex. Okay. Mm. Now, most men don't see sex as being abusive. That That's the part that I, I'm really more interested in opening up because this is how men get into situations like this is ordinarily through sex. I, I posted a, a link to an article where it, it, a woman had bit the man's penis because she got angry with him. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, if, you know what I'm saying? So if you're having someone perform oral sex on you and then suddenly they are willing to perform oral sex on you, but with the intent of inflicting pain on you, you aren't expecting that. Yes, and and so that is one way that it can uh, that a woman could sexually abuse a man. There's 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 uh, and a woman could also sexually abuse a man by by forcing sex. Um, we don't talk about it very much. We act like it can't happen, talk but about it can it. happen. Um, <laughs> Please talk about it. Please. <laughs> so because a woman can nobody you know, can nobody wants to believe that a woman can rape a man. Yeah, can happen. So sometimes it's full out rape, um, and sometimes it's uh, coercion. Is sometimes it's shaming the guy into doing more than he wants to do. Sometimes it would be uh, it, it's a, like a carrot and a stick kind of thing. So it's it another way that a woman can can um, sexually abuse a, a man is to. Reward use use sex as a as a reward and punishment. So this is a different element of of sexual abuse that a woman could use. So she's using sex as a manipulator to get to get what she wants. Uh, do what I want, and uh, even though it's something you don't want to do, I'll reward you with sex. Don't do what I want, and I will withhold sex. Um, or something. Else. Another way. Another way that women sexually abuse men is by getting pregnant on purpose when mm-hmm. they have agreed verbally that the pregnancy is not what he wants. Um, and this can happen outside of marriage, and this can even happen in marriage. I've, I've even had a client who was married who didn't want to have the third child and was clear about that, and the wife um, stopped her birth control until she was pregnant and then said, what are you going to do about it now? Um, or you can't do anything about it now. And um, Or tell you that they're on birth control. Yeah. Yeah, they can sometimes say that they're on birth control when they're not. They can sometimes um, put pinpricks in condoms. Um, I have say that to again. one guy. Please repeat that. Dr. Yeah, Davis, they can please put repeat pin- that. Okay. They can put pinpricks in condoms. 
Pen pricks, guys. Check your condom wrapper. <laughs> Keep custody of your condoms. <laughs> <laughs> this is a non-negotiable. The condom must originate from you only. You must apply it yourself at all times. Yeah, exactly. Be aware of your yeah. condom. Like yeah. What's in your wallet? I, your I, condom. I talked to a, a man, and, and he was a, he was probably in his twenties, and he had a girlfriend. Uh, so they were they were together for a while, and um, so a committed relationship. But they were not they were he was clear he was not wanting to have children, and in theory she was in agreement, and um, they had used a condom during sex, and he like left the apartment or left the room or something and came back into back into the bathroom and found her taking the used condom out of the garbage. Hmm. So she was Please going to... that in. because I cannot tell you how many times I've told people this and I, I have heard where women have taken the used condom out of the garbage and tied it up and put it in the freezer mm-hmm. and then yeah. later unthought it and got pregnant. Um, yeah. So guys, I mean like you know, it's, the condom is supposed to be flushable. So, you know, uh, if you don't flush it, then take it with you. Wrap it up and take <laughs> it with you. That, that, yeah, that's 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 and, and and yeah yeah. Um, and also, if if your girlfriend shows signs of being really malicious and manipulative, then take it seriously. Um, that this is one other way that it might show up. Yeah. Although a woman doesn't necessarily have to even show that many signs of being malicious and man- manipulative and uh, still make mission, this no. choice. Yeah, mm-hmm. it is It is yeah. an excruciatingly manipulative thing to do, but there might not be a lot of other markers that they're being manipulative. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If I've someone seen that. calls it, um, what is it? Like, you know, anybody can pretend to be for as long as it takes to get what they want, and then after they've gotten what they want, then they become who they really are. Yeah. I have a, I have a blog post um, that is very popular, um, and it's called Eight Red Flags, The Pregnancy is a Trap. And is this you can on your find website? It on, yeah, on annsilvers.com. Okay, so I'm going there now because okay. what I try to do is whenever someone tells me to look at something – I try to go and get it and grab it, and so I'm looking. Okay, I'm clicking on your blog right now, and so so I, I so in the search in up in the search, um, put in red flags. Mm-hmm. Red flags. Okay. All right, guys. If you guys are out there listening, go to her website andsilvers.com, and go to click on the blog and search red flag, and there it is. Eight red flags. The pregnancy is a trap. Then there's fake pregnancy and paternity industry exposed. Yeah. <laughs> and how to make a so safe plan if she is violent. Wow. There's um, there's actually um, a whole industry around fake pregnancy where women can, can, the last time I checked, they could actually go on Amazon and get this. They can get uh, pregnancy tests that are packaged just like a pregnancy test that you would go buy in the in the grocery store 
and they've already been manipulated to be a false positive. So you, these are actually used pregnancy tests that somebody's Yeah, I don't know how they make them false positive, but they are false positive. Mm-hmm. So a woman I'm some pregnant could women to urinate on. Okay. Mm. Maybe, um, and it's it's a way that a woman might use to trap a man into um, <clears throat> engagement or uh, marriage, or like moving moving into moving in together, taking the relationship to the next level of commitment uh, when she's not pregnant at all, but says she's pregnant. Um, there's even fake. There's even fake um, ultrasounds that that can be purchased. Oh God! So if you have a girlfriend or wife that you that's saying she's pregnant and you have doubts, then be sure you go to the doctor's appointments. Make sure it's a reputable doctor too. I'm not. I'm not trying I'm to sure disparage. <laughs> I'm not trying to disparage the medical profession, but I'm like seriously. You know, you need to check the shingle. You need yeah. to check the shingle. So it's like I, you know, it's sad that you have to say something like that. But in all honesty, it's like this is a major. How do you say it's a major money-making industry right now? Well, and I and, and I think that it's a it's a very very common thing for women to either fake pregnancy to trap a man or get pregnant on purpose when the man is clear that he doesn't want that. Um, So getting pregnant on purpose in order to trap him into commitment to the relationship or to get money, child support. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I have encountered... Oh, doctor, Dr. Ann, how tangled the web, how tangled the web. Yeah. Oh my goodness! Oh my goodness! Oh my goodness! Oh my goodness! It's like mm, this is this this interview is really really deep. This is really deep, seriously, really deep. And I thank you so much for being willing to talk about this. I mean, honestly, I do, and I hope that we help somebody out here. Um, and this is not a female bashing interview. This is just the truth. And so the pendulum swings both ways. I've I've done yeah. do, I'm, I'm making a disclaimer, and it's really not a disclaimer. I'm simply saying that on my platform, I have given space to women who've been abused. I've given space to pastors' wives who've been abused, and I just am also giving due diligence to both sides of the spectrum. Why am I doing that? It's because I grew up with both sides of the spectrum in my life. I grew up seeing women abuse men. I grew up um, seeing a lot of things that women did that you didn't think women were capable of. I uh, just, you know, uh, being adopted was no picnic for me. And the people that I grew up with in adoption, they were interesting human beings. That's putting it mildly. And mm-hmm. I just remembered as a little girl when I would see um, <clears throat> the woman hit the man and his glasses go flying. And like you said, he would be driving 
or he could be walking in front of her mm-hmm. and suddenly a fist would, you know, pop him in the back of the head and his head would, you know, bob and he almost go unconscious and glasses go flying or, you know, getting a backhand uh, left. I mean, that left backhand is, is nothing to play with. And I mean, so these men were big yeah. men. They, they were tall men, uh, stout men, but these women, you know, were like the, the element of surprise. They always had the element of surprise. It's like you could feel yeah. the tension. I just remember thinking, riding in the back seat, I could feel the tension. And you knew something was going to happen. We just didn't know what was going to happen, when it was going to happen. And I think about it, it's like the mere fact that we never had a wreck while, you know, they mm-hmm. were getting hit upside the head when they were driving. I, I should give them credit as drivers. Mm. because they never wrecked the car, but it was just like, you know, the tension would be there and then just out of nowhere, you know, just bam. I mean, not a slap, not a open hand, but a closed fist. Um, wow. And so I have earned the right to have this conversation, and that's why I repeatedly say to my audience, if you don't like what's being discussed, then click off. Because you cannot tell me how to tell my story. You cannot tell me how to interview other people that basically is just affirming what I'm talking about. This is my story. This is my life. I have the right to tell that story and and the means of telling that story by using other people to share what they have. They have credibility. They are uh, licensed professionals. And they have the experience of counseling other people who have endured and are enduring these things. So all I can say to you is that, you know, if you're here and you don't like what's being talked about, this is not bashing women. This is telling the truth. This is telling the truth. I've done the same type of um, opening for women who have been abused. And so for me, this, I have the right to have this conversation and I shall continue to have this conversation and hopefully we bring about a change. But in the meantime, again, Dr. Ann, when we bring this back to your book and it's talking about the individuals who have met as a choice for demeaning, exerting control, and punishing the targets of their abuse, you say the objective is to manipulate situations. The objective. This is key. The objective is to manipulate situations, especially the target of the abuse and even other people relevant to the partner. So isolation, separating the people from their friends, uh, family, from coworkers, from their norm, their routine, uh, disrupting their lives is, is what this is about. That's the objective because you cannot control if you don't have total control. You, 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 the whole aim is to have total control over that individual. Or as well, much and, control and, as you and remembering that it goes on a continuum, so sometimes it will be all the way out to that ultimate control where they're controlling everything, and then sometimes it won't be all the way out there, but it'll still be abusively controlling. And then, yeah, so um, that was one of the things that you mentioned in the story about the woman when you went to the door and the husband said, no, you can't talk to that person. The same mm-hmm. thing happens uh, in, and when the genders are reversed sometimes. yeah. That wasn't even her husband. Yeah. That's what broke my heart is because she gave oh, yeah. him, you know, uh, yes. I, I don't want to say gave him permission, but he had her so um, afraid and intimidated, yes. you know, and this is, well, what, and, and I will tell you this, she was a big woman. She was a big woman. He was a little man. 
there can be a brainwashing element to partner abuse. One of the things that happens is a partner has so much access to the other person. And so if they're trying to be controlling, then they can try one mechanism for control. If that doesn't work, they have time. They can just try another one. They can build a whole repertoire of control that works with that person. And the, often the longer you're in the relationship, the more, the, kind of the deeper you are in the control of that other person. And coming out of that fog of being controlled can be part of what makes it so hard to get out. And I, I've talked when, when normally when I'm having this conversation with other people on the show, I give them the analogy of the elephant is that, you know, they train the elephant when they're, like, small to not be able to break free, not be able to, you know, run away Mm -hmm. or anything by putting that chain and tying them to that. And they grow up being conditioned to believe that they can't get free. They become large. They become powerful. But in their minds, they still see themselves as, helpless and unable to break free, even to the point of here's this massive elephant obeying the commands of the circus master when they could, in reality, just step on them, you know? Yes, or, true, you know, very true. You know, so the, the brainwashing to the point to where you no longer believe that you are powerful in your own right as an individual, that you have your own individual power, your own individual rights because you've conceded that. It's, 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 it's like war. It's really like war. It's like the more um, you allow the enemy to advance, the further they will advance. So, you know, it's like if you don't stand your ground, then they'll push you back and push you back and push you back to finally breaking you down and making you a prisoner of war. I mean, I'm sorry that maybe like, you know, not kosher to say that, but to me, I know that feeling. I know that feeling of um, being put in a situation to where you lose sight of your power. It's like you've given up so much of your power that you literally lose sight of when you gave it up. You, You lose the boundary line of when did I start to give up my power? You know, where where are my boundaries? Because you they they've long since been blurred and they've long since been demolished. It's like somebody is moving the property line. Like, you know, uh this is my property and you say no, this is my property, but when you look the property line has been moved and you can't remember where the property line actually used to be. Because yeah. you allow, you know, your boundaries to be broken. And so, you know, now they can just run wild and just do whatever they want because in, in your life and with you. And and I remember um, as a young woman, uh, way before I became a parent, being in relation, which I thought would really be odd because I'm grateful that I did not become like the women that I grew up around. But what it did to me, it was like when I began to date, I began to date men who were like the women who were abusing the men that I grew up with. And I started to analyze myself. And I said, you know, I think that I feel like I owe 
this to the men that I watched get abused. It's like it was my punishment for not being able to help them. I know that sounds twisted, but as a, a little girl watching this and being powerless to help these people, that somewhere mm-hmm. subconsciously I accepted being abused because I had accepted them being abused. Yes, and I think and it speaks very strongly to we have to really, another reason why as a society we have to pay attention to the issue of women abusing men is because there's also, we need to care about the men and we need to care about the children who are yes. witnessing this. Yes. And even the women who are had, doing it, we, we need to care about them mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. Because it truly, um, yeah, it's like, you know, as I'm, I'm thinking through all of this, I'm like, I'm processing how I felt as a little girl watching this. And I remember one night um, observing this adopted mother that I had uh, pick up an axe out of, he had been skinning rabbits and, you know, everything. And so the axe was embedded in a a stump of wood and it was dark and she reached down and grabbed the axe and she went to swing at him. Wow. And I, you know, I think I just uttered one word that made him turn around. But literally if I had said nothing, I would have witnessed a murder because oh. I, I could I could feel the presence of evil in her at that moment mm. and she was intent on axing him in the back of his head. His back was turned. Wow. He was totally defenseless. You know? His back was turned and she picked up the axe and swung and I said something and he turned around. And I remember standing there, and I was just frozen time. I was absolutely frozen time. And he looked at, you know, in horror at the possibility mm-hmm. of what could have happened, you know. And um, I, you know, I, I, remember, I remember these things that happened, and I probably was like seven or eight at the time. Mm. And I'm, you know, not seven or eight anymore, but I still remember that. And I, I can still remember how I felt. So, you know, yeah. what children are witnessing, you know, you don't know the extent of um, the effect that it's going to have on them, you know, in the, long, in the long range. But I do believe that because I've witnessed men being abused that I was drawn into abusive relationships. And it wasn't until yeah. I was probably... Um, I was 25. I was 25 when I finally broke the cycle of abuse in my life. And I had, you know, I did, haven't gone back since in terms of, you know, someone dominating me physically, financially, emotionally, sexually, all that stuff. I haven't gone back into that. But the funniest thing is that I had an occasion to tell that person that I forgave them. And do you know what they told me? Hmm. I forgive you what? too. And I, and I was like... Oh. You forgive me for what? <laughs> you know, for saving well, my that life, lack of awareness. Yeah, yes, that lack no, of awareness. No, it's like we I forgive you for leaving me. They right. said I forgive they're you totally for unaware me. of what they're doing. Yeah. And I'm going like, are you kidding me? And I said, so I was left with a choice to look to stay and let you kill me, 
or, or leave. And, and so for that, you tell me that you forgive me? Really? So I yeah, because I took you and I kept yeah, and I said, "Give you and I kept it moving." Things, yes, yeah, yeah. Like I was so supposed we can't to stay always, there. You know, and, sometimes, yeah, sometimes people aren't rational about what they do. So so often we're stuck in abusive relationships, thinking, "Well, I just haven't found the words yet to get through to this person that what they're doing is hurting me." And once they know that it's hurting me, they'll stop. Well, that's sometimes true on the sort of lower ends of the abusive scale. But once you get into the higher ends of the abusive scale, um, that person isn't using that kind of logic to think through what they're doing. They have, they have, they're just sold on their own motivations. They're not able to see how it's really impacting you. Now we're getting into narcissistic abuse and and sociopathic (laughs) abuse. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Because it's at that point, it's all about them. Like you know, what you right. have taken away from them, what you've hindered them from being able to do, and so their end game is to continue to abuse you as long as you let them. And then once you tell them that you've had enough, or you show them that you've had enough, then it's like you're the bad person. They're not the bad Correct. person. You're the bad person. So that that's the reality of a totally different level and a totally different kind of person that you're dealing with and a lot of people today in this uh, me generation are very, 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 very narcissistic. And it's all about them. It's, it's all about them and it doesn't matter how it's affecting you or whatever it is that I have to do. And, and, and I just was telling someone else about the interview. I was inviting them to tune into the interview. And didn't realize that, you know, they were getting ready to share part of their story with me. So I'm not going to say much about it. But, uh, you know, I mean, he literally expressed to me about his story. And it was so like the other stories that I've interviewed. And the one thing that I had to ask him was like, when did you know that she didn't love you? And he said, to be honest, he said, I knew right away. I knew at the beginning of the relationship that she didn't love me, but he stayed in that relationship for almost 20 years. Mm. But you knew at the beginning that she didn't love you and that she was only using you, but you stayed. And I thought, that to me is like, this This is more common than people want to admit. And it's more, I, 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 I've had more men say this than I have women. I have, I've had very few women tell me that I knew in the beginning he didn't love me. I've had more men tell me I knew in the beginning that she did not love me, but I was willing to stay in hopes that she would begin to love me. I, it, it's just like I, I, I'm still, you know, I, I want to process that some more because I don't get that. It's like I, I get partnering with people um, I mean, if you're up front, it's okay. You know, I just want to get married for a partnership reason. You know, I'm not looking, you know, that we have to love one another. You know, we can grow to love and respect each other in different ways, but I think we would make a good partnership. Okay, then that's that's okay if you're both in agreement with that. But if you go into that relationship knowing that you're entering in upside down to begin with, 
Well, that that kind of person, the man is already hooked or trapped in some way, and then mm-hmm. can't see his way. Already feels like they have made their commitment, or they can't see their way out. And then, unfortunately, it goes year after year and doesn't get easier to leave. It potentially gets harder. Um, in the book, I talk about the many, many reasons why somebody stays in a abusive relationship. And exactly what we're trying to do today here is raise awareness that this can be happening because that's one, Mm -hmm. this blindness that we have to the fact that sometimes women are abusing their boyfriends and husbands. That blindness is part of what's keeping men stuck in these relationships and acccepting these relationships. So, and so you know, in her kudos book, to you yeah. to um, working so hard at increasing awareness. Thank you. It's not over. But here in, I want to go back to this particular part when you start talking about individuals. This is like the individual uh, statement. This is the individual, um, I, I shouldn't, that's not the individual statement, but um, modus operandi. Can I say that? Okay. And I'll tell you where I'm at. It's page 23. And here, when you say this is chapter three on how they do it, this is right after we did six and stones may break your bones. The words may break your psyche and overspending may break your finances and manipulation may break your spirit. And individuals have methods of choice for demeaning, exerting control over or punishing the targets of their abuse. The objective is to manipulate situations the target of the abuse, and even other people relevant to the partner. Now, when we go down into the next paragraph after that, and you say some ways women abuse men are the same as those used in other partner abuse situations, such as isolating the target of abuse from friends and family. Then she goes on and says some ways are similar to those used by men against women, but with a twist, gentlemen, she says, but with a twist. Women who are physically violent with their male partners are likely to prefer methods that overcome their size and strength disadvantages. And uh, Doctor has, you know, talked about that um, previously. So here now, some abusive behaviors of women are available to them for use on men specifically because of their gender. And then she goes on, she says, for example, an abusive woman can capture a man by getting pregnant with his child in a deceitful way. Abusive behaviors may cross over different abuse types, seducing a man for malicious purposes, using words and body language is verbally, sexually, and psychologically abusive. Female abuse of male partners includes all of the abuse categories. Verbal, sexual, financial, physical, spiritual, legal, emotional, psychological. Now, verbal, sexual, financial, physical, spiritual, legal, emotional, psychological is like eight, but you have emotional and psychological groups together, and I, and I understand why on, mm. on that. But there's basically eight categories of abuse that she talks about here. Now, coming into, can, can we kind of skip around on the categories a little bit? Sure. Um, on the legal abuse side. Mm-hmm. Now, somebody somebody has called in. Do you want to take a caller? It's totally up to you. 
Well, I kind of want to get into the this this one uh, category of abuse, the legal abuse. Yeah. yeah. And then I'll come back. Caller, if you'll just stay on the line. Uh, thank you for calling in. Um, it's 4500. We will get back with you just in a second. So, Doctor, can you talk about the legal part of uh, abuse? Yeah, I think it's really important to recognize some of these abuse methodologies that we aren't we don't talk about so often. And so legal abuse is using the court system or uh, judiciary, the uh, police system, the criminal system, um, any of those, to control, demean, or punish. Because it always comes back to control, demean, punish. And so a woman might actually fake, she might falsely accuse the man of domestic violence. This has become a really far too common uh, type of abuse that a woman can wield. And uh, so she falsely accuses him of domestic violence when he is not doing that at all. And it has all these repercussions to him. Uh, so I've got some stories in the book, the big stories where this has really hurt men. And, and then the other possibility is to get illegitimately claim that they're afraid when, when they're not. So this is cases where it's false accusations. And so falsely accuse the man of being scary to her. And she just has to use the magic word that I'm scared. And she can get a restraining order or a um, protection order against him. And that has a lot of negative repercussions. It's a black mark on his record. And or he, she could use the false accusations that he should, that he's somehow dangerous to the children and deny him access to his children and use the court systems, court system to make that happen. She could exaggerate her need for child support and therefore it's another, it's an overlap between legal abuse and financial abuse. Uh, or she could um, just use the court system to create havoc in his life where uh, this can happen on whether it's a man being abusive or a woman being abusive, where they use the court system to just always be bringing you back into court over custody issues or over um, some sort of settlement around divorce. And they just are working at trying to ruin your life with these manipulation of the of the legal system. Yes, and there are the 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 one thing that I want to say in in response to that is that there is this acronym for fear, false evidence appearing real. That ah. in the hands of someone who is intent on trying to maintain control, that element of fear. Yes can be almost conjured up, but they can use false evidence to make you believe because they they will make you believe that they know the legal system better than you do. Mm. And that, you know, and based on what you see in the media, guess who they're going to believe? You know, they're going to believe oh, that's me right. or help, yeah, helpless woman. But in order to change the tide and change the conversation on this is that um, the blinders have to come off. 
the reality of it is, is that, again, I'm going back to the basis of why I am doing this show. It is because man's inhumanity to man. You just strip the gender out of it, and it is wrong for any human being to do any kind of thing like this to another human being, whether you are male or female, whatever. The bottom line, the root of this conversation for me is that human beings have no right to do that to another human being. And if the justice system, everybody else will realize, okay, you know, take the factor out that you got a 350-pound man walking in the room and a 90-pound woman walking in the room, and automatically you assume that this man is the culprit. And I had a family member share this similar story to me that he has a family member that weighs about 400 pounds, is, you know, uh, significant other weighs about 90 pounds, and she has pummeled him. And I, and, and I said to him, I said, then nobody believes it, right? He says, no. I said, well, tell him I believe because I've seen it for myself. So whenever, you know, someone wants to challenge this conversation is that I have my own receipts. I don't need someone else's receipts. I have my own receipts. I've lived this, I've seen it, I've witnessed it, and it is a horrible thing to have to deal with as a child. And yes, then and you have a powerful voice. And look, you know, look for ways that I can make a difference, ways that I can change this. Now, um, there's, there's the financial aspect of this as well, okay? But if you want to go to the line and uh, take the caller, you know, we can do that and sure. uh, come back. Which, however okay, you want to do so, it. Okay, uh, caller, we're coming on to see what you have to say. Hi, caller. Thank you for calling in Patricia Adams Live. How can we help you? Hello, caller, 4500. Would you like to ask a question or do you have a comment? Okay, are you on mute? Because the mic is open. If you have something that you would like to say, okay, they hung up. Okay, all right, oh, okay. then let's go back. So okay. um, keeping, um, let, let's go to, skip over a little bit to the finances. It says, in the finances, you talk about um, here, the ways that the finances get controlled. And here it's like misuse of funds. Uh, there are many ways that a woman might misuse joints or her partner's funds. Now, this is this is really, I don't want to say funny, but this is very interesting. There are many ways that a woman might misuse joint or her partner's funds, not her funds, but her partner's funds, and then leave him holding the bag. Okay, you say there's gambling, there's shopping addiction, there's hiding her spending, there's buying things they can't afford, lying about paying bills buying drugs or alcohol, racking up credit card debt, rerouting funds into her private account, and sporting repayment of loans from his family. If his partner has a shopping or gambling addiction, a man may try to reason with her about her spending too much, but she will maneuver around him in order to get her fixed. 
With any form of addiction, an addict will lie and manipulate to get her substance. A woman may use anger or crying to shut her partner down if he tries to reason with her. She may beguile him with how she needs him to provide things for her, or she may simply ignore his pleas. A professional man with a well-paying position but large debt load that restricted his disposable income had tried many times to talk to his wife about cutting down her spending. Her consistent response was that she would continue to spend whatever she wanted. She threatened that if he didn't stop bothering her about it, she would leave and take the children. So then Dr. Ann says, I have heard many stories of men finding out about bills they thought were being paid by their wife who took care of that responsibility for their family were not actually being paid. One man found out his child support payments related to his children from previous marriage had not been paid, even though his wife had led him to believe that they were being paid on time. Another man's new wife convinced him that she should take care of the family finances. She said, you work hard and make the money. I'm good at accounting. I'll take care of it. She occasionally showed him some financial records, but only occasionally. They had a huge house that they paid off faster than the mortgage demanded. They had investments that she organized for them. Actually, he thought the investments were for them, but they were in her name. Somehow, she managed to get a clause put on the investments that in the case of separation, they were all hers. He didn't realize he needed to be protecting himself from his wife. He trusted she was taking care of these things with both their interests in mind. His wife took advantage of the fact that he was consumed by juggling his career, housework, and the kids. He didn't have leftover energy to be monitoring the one thing she had taken responsibility for. After the kids were grown and out of the house, she announced, I'm not taking care of this house anymore. We need to sell it. We'll buy a condo and save the rest. The money from the house sale went into a joint bank account. Shortly after they were in the new condo, she took all the money from the account and announced that she was leaving him. Over the years, not only had she maneuvered ownership of the known investment, she had siphoned off large sums of money that he was never able to trace. Yeah, that was Ooh. one of the worst cases of financial abuse that I've seen. Mm. We have one. some more callers on the line, Doctor. Okay. And um, I'm going to try one more time. Caller 4500. You're on the air. You're on the air. Caller 4500. Do you have a question or a comment? I do. I have a couple questions and a couple comments. Um, okay. What, so, one of my questions would be that history has put men in positions to dominate things, right? And, and this is not something that's easily overcome by any means. So I wonder, uh, the, the overflow of that is what we see now, where maybe that's not quite as necessary. But it's interesting, uh, your takes on, on some of this stuff. I'll tell you this, and I will get to the question, but I'll tell you this, any man that gets dominated by a woman has issues already, you know, uh, because the natural instinct in a relationship is, is I'm not talking about beating a woman or, or verbally abusing her or none of that, but you run stuff. I mean, you run it, you run the relationship and that, and that's naturally how it goes. And when that starts to get upside down, I don't think it's a problem with the women. I think it's a problem with the men. And uh, there's a lot of effeminate men out there now, and I think this this issue is growing. So my question is, you know, after that weird statement that's probably not backed up by a lot of facts other than what I think, 
you know, I've been around a long time, so I think it's pretty much true. But my question is to, to you two ladies is that do you think this is getting worse because men are more effeminate? They're getting more and more and more effeminate now, and uh, the balance is off. It, do, it doesn't seem to it doesn't seem to work right when the balance gets off. And and I know that's that's re- a really simplified and a dumb way to put it. But hey, I'm a guy, so that's how I'm going to put it. So I wonder what you think. Okay, I have some thoughts. Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Um, okay, I, you know, I think you have oversimplified it, as you say. Um, I do not think that this is uh, about effeminate men at all. Um, I, I do think that there has been a, I think this has been around through the ages, and now we do have a pendulum swing where we are uh, seeing seeing the possibility of, of women being aggressive towards men as okay or even yay those women. So I think that is a problem and that might be an element of, of what you're talking about. But I, I think that part of the problem in getting people to talk about this and in getting men to realize what might be happening, them, happening to them in their individual relationship is the possibility that they will be tagged as less of a man. I think that is part of the problem, is the pos- men hanging on to, if you were manly enough, this wouldn't happen to you. And, and I want to stretch your mind into, into think, opening the door to, this is not about that at all. Men can be, this is not about how macho, how, how manly a man is. Um, yeah. And I'll just piggyback on that. I've had a time. I've had time to rethink my uh, response. And the one thing that I would want to say to the brotherhood and the sisterhood, and but particularly to the brotherhood, is that there is um, a phrase that I often tell people is, "Am I my brother's keeper?" So. For me, is that until men can feel safe amongst men to tell their story, to tell their truth, men will continue to suffer in silence. And I challenge you, um, caller, to reconsider your position. It may be your opinion, and it's your opinion, and you're entitled to your opinion. But until it touches your house and until it touches you personally or someone that you know. Just uh, let me let me play the devil's advocate. What if somebody in your space is suffering right now and they know that they can't come to you because you would say that they are effeminate and you might feel justified in calling them effeminate, but what if this person's only hope was you and being able to reach out to get help and you held on to your belief and that person continued to suffer and then something horrible, God forbid, happens to them and you'll go like, what happened to him? I had no idea this was going on. I, I don't want you to just continue to say, I'm a man. Remove, remove that and add the H-U-M and say, I'm a human being. 
And we get upset when we see dogs and cats and horses and pigs and, and livestock being mistreated. I just want you to get upset when you see any human being get mistreated. It's not okay. Whether they are effeminate or not, it's not okay. It's just not okay. If they're broken, it's still not okay. If they appear to be allowing it to happen, it's still not okay. Just because somebody walks across the street and they don't look and they're texting on their phone, it's not okay for them to get ran over. Do they have a part in it? Yes, but at the same time, they are human beings. And until we as human beings just see us as human beings, we will continue to say man up or, you know, you, you, know, you shouldn't let this happen to you. Please, 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 I implore you that you challenge yourself. I don't need you to change because, you know, we may never meet personally, but somebody in your life might need you to change. And I, I just would ask you to rethink your position on that. And thank you so much for calling in. If you continue to hold on, we've got another caller on the line. Caller 4831, we will uh, come to you next. Caller 4831, uh, do you have questions or comments? Uh, yes, yes. Uh, really enjoying the program. And uh, I heard what that gentleman said earlier. Uh, I, I noticed that um, when you talked about narcissism, and I noticed you haven't mentioned uh, even the Jezebel spirit. Uh, that we're seeing going across this nation. And also, uh, I was in an abusive situation, and I believe it was it was my pride that kept me from admitting where I was till I got to the end of it. But uh, when I went into my second marriage, um, you know, I knew. I saw all the red flags. Uh, my former wife, she talked about how her mother denied her father sex for 22 years. And then when we were... Going into our relationship, uh, we were, you know, we had, we didn't have sex before marriage, but what we we were we were kissing, and taught to, to before we were married, she said she didn't want to kiss him and she didn't like kissing, and I just assumed that was something she was going through, and after we was married, we didn't kiss for seventeen years, and it really mm-hmm. affected the marriage, um, you know, and, and I'm going to buy your book, you know, and I ended up writing a book as well. Uh, I'm talking to pastors and leaders now who are in situations that are unbelievable. Uh, mm. A woman a woman has power. Even Isaiah talks about a woman with a haughty spirit. Uh, I mean, these are things we need to talk about. A woman has power, and their men are just so unhappy that are hanging in there. These are believers. These are Christian men. Um, a woman can make a man feel so little, so belittled. Uh, and not like a man But anyway, uh, I'm really enjoying the author I'm going to buy your book as soon as I get offline And uh, Patricia, you know I always enjoy your show But but uh, my question is What about the spirit of Jezebel? Do you believe that that plays a part In in the abuse of men as well? Um, I don't know can, can you take that one, Patricia? Do you, do you know I I. You know, I certainly have come across the concept of Jezebel, but I, I don't know how well off the cuff I could speak to that.
I don't know if I've got gotten cut off. I don't hear anything. Yes, um, Dr. Dr. Oh. Ann, and thank you, caller, for calling in. I have intentionally taken this conversation into the psychology realm of you as a counselor. Um, I've done past shows where I have taken a religious position in the conversation. And Mm -hmm. so for the purpose of this is that because of your background um, in psychology and because of your um, spin on this topic, I've led this conversation in the way that I felt like it was good for us to go. So I really don't want you to address the Jezebel on this because I don't believe that that's an area that, like you said, you haven't really been exposed to that. And so because of that, I I really want to, you know, stay in your lane with this. And and I have spoken about the Jezebel theory before, but I was having that from a religious conversation. And, but right now, since I'm having this from a secular conversation, um, and I know that this is not your, you know, your wheelhouse, I would, you know, like for us to continue in it because I believe that in opening it up um, across the board, I don't want to, um, how can I say, I, I, it needs to be broader than just the church. It needs to be broader mm. than just the government. It needs to just be what it is. This is a human condition. It's a human issue. Um, is it a fall, uh, a result of falling away from a central belief system, a belief in God, a belief in all that. I'm today, my, my aim is to talk about human beings hurting human beings. How they got there or why they got there, that's not really the conversation that I wanted to have for this show. So um, I just really want to, you know, kind of stay where we are, if you don't mind. Okay. And, and, and I have to say that I'm, yeah, I'm almost out of time. Um, um, it's very exciting that people are calling in and they're and they're interested in the topic and and I think too to speak to the the uh, it's so exciting for me to hear that people are talking about this in their churches. Um, yes, and I do have that it's, it's chapter really in the book in about church. spiritual abuse. <laughs> Yes, yes, exactly. Yes, exactly. And this is, but the thing of it is, is that you know, I today my intent was to reach the global audience. I wasn't, you know, trying to narrow it down to just say people in church or spiritually, because to me, mm-hmm. it all starts in the spirit. Whether you're in the church or out of the church, we all have spirits, and whether we go to church or not, you know, it, it is a spiritual. Um, situation, you know, it's like a contamination of the spirit. So, you know, whether you have secular beliefs or religious beliefs, but I wanted just to have a human-to-human conversation about it because I, I want to broaden the reach and say that, you know, yes, this is happening in the church. I've, I've already had that conversation, and I will continue hmm. to have that conversation. But for today, I want people from all walks of life. I don't care whether you go to church or you go to synagogue or you don't go to church or whatever, there is no excuse for another human being to treat another human being inhumanely. That's the point of today's show. And all I can say is is that until we have the conversation where it's not okay for another human being, I mean, people get locked up for throwing dogs out of a car. 
He would get locked up for throwing dogs over a bridge. He would mm-hmm. get locked up for starving horses. But they don't get locked up enough for being inhumane to human beings. That's the conversation that I wanted to have today, and I want to thank you for coming and having that conversation with me. And I invite you back. Please, please um, come back again because your book is so full, and we just barely scratched the surface. We barely scratched the surface. So um, I hope you'll accept my invitation and find a place on your calendar to come back on the show because you yeah, have we should so talk much about to Yes. Oh, because, thank you. Um, yes. So, and, and I just want to thank you. And I know that you have a busy schedule, and I don't want to keep you on. But again, I want to thank you, callers, for calling in. Thank you, Dr. Silvers, for being a part of the show. And we are coming up on 20 seconds to closing out the show. And I wish you much success and a prosperous new year coming up. But uh, please, I will reach out to you to do the second part of this show and. I welcome you back on the show until you're ready to stop being on the show. I'm here okay. for the conversation. So thank you so much. Thank you, thank you, thank Thanks, you. Thanks, Patricia. And thank you, callers and listeners from wherever you are for tuning in to Patricia Adams Live. And I am going to close the show. If I could change the world, I would. And all I can do is do what I can right now, and that's talk about it. So Eric Clapton, take us out. the stars